and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Tallon. This is the Creative Innovation Podcast. How are you doing? Are you good? Are you coping well in lockdown too? Are you on the edge? Are you afraid? Are you angry? Or are you just sat there with your mouth open in disbelief in front of the US elections? Let me know. How are you coping and getting by? Are you using creativity as an outlet like me? Like any time in life? I hope so. And if you're not, maybe you should be. Or maybe you can't. I know that's the case for some people. So hang in there. Stay tough. Talk to people. Find ways to busy the hands and mind. Nothing too naughty mind. <laughs> I've just started writing uh, Isolation Watch 2. For anybody who's been following my writing, um, my fiction career kicked off with Isolation Watch falling apart in the pandemic, which was uh, released recently as an ebook. Um, and it was very accidental. I was writing these short stories, they were quite dark. I set up an Instagram account at Stories for the Apocalypse. Um, and that was before the pandemic. I didn't call it that based on the uh, loose use of the term apocalypse that I heard everyone saying. This was more to do with the fact that I felt like society on the whole was kind of frayed a little bit and that people were struggling and that's why I wanted to get under the skin of that through these stories. And when the first lockdown kicked off, I had recently become a parent of twins, as I mentioned a couple of times on recent episodes. And I started to write what I was witnessing in my local area in this kind of suburban, sleepy-ish part of Salford and and also just little you know little things I pick up from like Radio 5 Live and news articles and case studies on various people and how they were getting through lockdown or coping or not coping and I just thought there was some real black comedy value in this and maybe it was catharsis for me or maybe it was just interest and observation which is a part of my character and I think to a degree a part of all of our characters as creators of content so that's what I did, and I've rebooted it for this second lockdown, and it's called Isolation Watch 2 Firebreakers. So you can follow that. I'm actually serializing it over at bentallenwriter.com, and little short excerpts, preview teasers uh, over at Stories for the Apocalypse on Instagram. So keep an eye on that. Uh, but I'm interested in how you guys are coping and what you're doing, so share some stuff, share some tweets and some Instagram posts, and I'll share it on the Stories or the Twitter at Arrest Almanix or at Ben Talon, whichever your preferred channel is. Um, so today we've got Jenny Robbins coming up and we're talking graphic design, illustration, teaching and again observational behaviour and comedy and writing. We will get into that in a moment but first a big thank you to my vital sponsors. Founding sponsor illustrationx.com, fantastic illustration agency representing animators, illustrators, gift makers, fashion illustrators, lettering specialists, mural artists, live illustrators. Uh, I know there's been a lot of Zoom live events going on as people continue to adapt during these strange times. So go and check out their portfolios and their brilliant news section over at illustrationx.com. The Association of Illustrators, the AOI.com, fantastic supporting organization for the illustration industry looking after people through contractual advice events support um all kinds of stuff going on they're a very very broad fantastically welcoming organization these days so go and check them out the aoi.com so jenny robbins uh, she's a fantastic illustrator artist writer and teacher based i believe in london at the moment and we got in touch because we were both writing things. I was writing Your Mum and other stories from the back streets of Britain, which is out there now, my independent venture. It's an illustrated collection of 21 short stories. And at the same time, Jenny was writing Biscuits Assorted. I don't know if that's how you say it, but anyway, it's called Biscuits and it's fantastic. So here's the blurb for Biscuits and it's out on Myriad Editions this week, 12th of November it comes out and it's an absolute must buy. Every day we pass a thousand people in the street and squash up against strangers on the underground. Like every city, London is teeming with life. Diverse, beautiful, messy life. And every face seen fleetingly in the crowd carries a story or two. Some are sad, some are funny, some are boring, but none are ever quite what you would guess. In Biscuits Assorted, Jenny Robbins takes a look at a handful of women's stories in the city that defy or comply with our expectations. And as they take a step out of the cookie cutter, mould of what it means to be a woman today. 
What can a relentlessly positive supermarket employee, a strong-minded mother with a secret, a mistress of distraction and oversharing, and a misadventurer in bisexual dating do in one long, hot summer? Featuring a colourful cast of women and occasional man, this book of interwoven stories takes us on a delicious journey to find that out. Biscuits is an exuberant ensemble comic about the courage and incongruity of women living in London, side by side but worlds apart. Um, this graphic novel is awesome. So Jenny got in touch, like I said, we've both been writing and we got chatting about this. And I asked Jenny to come on the show because she's awesome and I wanted to speak to the, the, the mind behind this because the observation is wonderful and these characters are so well fleshed out and there's a real wit that could only come from just reading the world around her. And it's the same for your mum. And, and the, the basis of that book was a lifetime of paying attention to the things that I suppose people just look past or ignore or choose to block out of their lives. And it's clear from both of these books that we're both very, very hungry for the detail, for the nuance in life, for the things that we might not consider overtly funny but end up being the funniest things. And it's the stuff that makes great comedy on TV, and I'm not saying that about our work. I just think that the the nucleus of these ideas is both just the everyday and the conversations we have and the things we overhear. And I just think there's something really beautiful in that. So I was absolutely fascinated to get my teeth into biscuits. And very kindly, uh, Myriad, Jenny's publisher, sent me this wonderful graphic novel, and it's quite the tome. I think coming in at 280... Let me have a look... 285 pages it's an absolute whopper and and it's such a body of work because the detail and range in this illustration is really really mind-bending and it's just brilliant because these stories are kind of bite-sized so you can dip in and out and you can read them in bite-sized chunks if you know if you like to do that or if maybe you don't have the best reading stamina so there's something for everyone in this project and I'm going to talk to Jenny today about it and about how it came about and what the idea was and uh, maybe how this project evolved because one thing I've learned as being a writer slash illustrator myself is that these things don't often come like bang. You know, there is, there is almost a tipping point, but there's not a light bulb moment as such. It's kind of an evolution of something we're interested in, an exploration in our sketchbooks, perhaps, or a series of illustrations. In fact, in both of these projects, in both Biscuits and Your Mum, there very much was an illustration basis. Uh, and I think we both realised that there was something deeper in the storytelling aspects of it that we could take further. And that's what's happened. So it's kind of a joy to, you know, to release something around the same time as Jenny and to see these very two different mediums coming out into the independent book world. So for anyone who's interested in, you know, about releasing something in terms of a book, go back and listen to the previous episode, 149. I chatted my experiences of both the independent publishing model and the traditional publishing model. And I hope it's helpful to someone. I got some feedback from CK Golden, who's previously been on the show with his awesome 61 Hugs film project. Uh, and CK is very much a creator of his own content and he, and he very much leads from the front. And he was loving that podcast because it gave him loads of insights to a world that he's thinking about getting involved with a book of his own. So go and check out his own social platforms for updates on that. So Jenny's going to break it all down. She's going to tell us about working with Myriad Editions, who are one of the leading independent graphic novel publishers in the UK today. We're going to talk about that world growing up on comics, um, why the independent comic world is very different from the likes of Marvel, but why the two uh, also have their similarities and relevance to today's society. It's an invigorating insight into the mind of a fantastic illustration and writing talent in Jenny Robbins. So go and check out Jenny's work. Uh, get us your feedback on the show at Arrest All Mimics. You can get the book uh, now when this episode comes out. I believe it's out on the 12th of November, like I said, via Myriad. Go and check out the channels. Support Jenny, support this fantastic craft. Uh, it's a great body of work. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you again to the sponsors, illustrationx.com and theaoi.com. Hit me up at Arrest All Mimics on the social or at Ben Talon. And we can talk more about books and writing and illustrating and all the good juicy stuff that maybe you'll be doing during the second part of the lockdown. Nice one. Enjoy. Yeah, well, there's so many things in Biscuits um, that seem like they were intentionally put in to be lockdown themes that really aren't. Like, I have supermarket stuff and... Yeah, I did, not, I did pick up on that, actually. It did, it did lend it. I'm sure we'll get to it, but it yeah. did lend it a really... 
I, I don't know, a little a surreal tint. There's something, you know, any, anything that's very much of the time before lockdown almost feels a little bit surreal, doesn't it, at the minute? Yeah, I mean, but also we're so used to it now. That's so true. It, yeah. it really is kind of a, I, I mean, I don't like the phrase new normal, but it's a normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what is, what is normal? Is normal ever been normal? I don't know. Normal's <laughs> never existed, so it's fine. <laughs> it's true. Well, let, let's, um, I always like, I'm sure as a listener, you know, but I always like to jump in like at the start of people's journey and I'm talking right back at the start. Like I'm always really interested in backgrounds. So you're from Brighton, is that right? Uh, well, I was born in Brighton. Um, I mostly grew up in a village that's about 20 minutes drive north of Brighton. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, called Henfield. And what about uh, family? Were you, are you kind of from um, outwardly creative stock or what's the deal? Um, I wouldn't, not particularly. Like, I think my family's generally creative, but not very artistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very, a very heavily bookish family, so we're always reading. Um, but not, yeah, not a lot of artistic output from most of my family like think, bits and pieces uh, big but yeah definitely not big reading not family is really interesting actually um because i just just by the virtue of the you know the variation within books i think you find if that's something you pick up on then you've got a good start pack for creativity yeah. though yeah definitely so um so what so what are your own kind of roots like you know do, were, were you were you a drawer as a kid were you oh drawing? yeah all the time <laughs> very very much so yeah always with the drawing um, I think um I never because I think because my family aren't very arty I never really had kind of sense of what I could do with it um so I studied illustration uh I remember the time when I learned that that was a thing you could do um which was probably when I was already in sixth form and I knew that my favorite subjects were art and English and it was like oh this isn't you can do that's kind of like a bit of both <laughs> and that's like the extent of my understanding at that point um and uh yeah i went i went off and did a foundation as you do but uh and then i studied illustration i think i, I was just i was really into comics when i was a teenager as well but i didn't that wasn't something you could really study and um possibly accurately <laughs> still didn't seem like <laughs> as much of a career although um i've had more success from doing this comic than I ever really did as an illustrator. I, I mean, I still am an illustrator, but it's, I've, I've never been um, enough of an illustrator not to have day jobs. I think that's very common, you know, so yeah. more recently somebody was talking on Twitter about, you know, they, were, they sounded quite, I don't know if bitter is the right word, but they were quite angry <laughs> about, you know, how does anyone make a full-time living in this goddamn industry with that kind of tone to it. Um, yeah. And I just think it's very common. I think I think for some people there's a, an element of choice because they like to keep the solitude at bay. But for a lot of people, it's necessity and it's just a way to fund it and to pay the rent because you know it does. It takes time to build up to a position where you can go full time, and you know, especially if you're especially if you're being pure about exactly what you want to do within your creativity. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love I love teaching as well. I'm very happy that I'm a teacher, um, especially in in these times because it. I, I get to go to work when a lot of people don't, um, which is very good for my sanity. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think for, for a, a few years after graduating, I kind of was bumming around doing different little jobs um, in offices and waitressing and stuff. Mm. And I, I decided to go into teaching because I was like, oh, this is a job that I can do part time and make enough money that I'm not kind of always stressing about money. Um, and I've kind of had a few crunch points of similar decisions uh, over the last 20 odd years. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, while I was training for the for those two years, it was a bit grim. But as I've been part time ever since. And it's it's a good balance. Do you find that's um, do you find that helps in terms of staying energized? That, I'm, I'm someone who really needs variation. And it's probably why I kind of. You know, sometimes I don't even know why I'm going off and starting a podcast or deciding that I'm going to be a writer as well now. And, and there's times when I feel... Stre- excellent choices. <laughs> Thank you. And I, there's times when I feel very stretched and think, oh my God, what are you doing? Why can't you just be an illustrator for a while? But I, I, think, <laughs> I think deep down, it's partly because I need the variation, but also yeah. I understand that creativity often, it has to keep moving, you know, because it always changes. Do you find that that's the case? Do you find that the two things feed one another? Definitely. Um, I mean both in a sort of infinite branching way and the kind of the two different career strands like I think for a lot of creative people 
you've always got more ideas than you've got time to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a blessing and a curse because it's a curse because you never finish anything. <laughs> um, um, but a blessing because you've always got in, sort of inspiration and motivation in that sense. Um, because I'm an art teacher, I think it definitely has affected the way that I think about creativity because the way that the mark scheme's written is like in some ways really not realistic as to the way that actual artists and designers work, but also really useful because it's always making you mash things together and look at the context of things. And I'm constantly on Pinterest looking for artists for my students to reference. Uh, So I'm always exposing myself to lots of different approaches. Um, And I think you can see in Biscuits, like pages where I've just literally mashed random stuff together to make a cool page. Like I'd never would have done that if I hadn't been an art teacher because I'm making my students do that all the time. It's like, okay, you need to show development. Let's just take your two ideas and mash them together. (laughs) It's so true, isn't it? And I just think that you have to, you have to go other places, new places, see new things and get new input, don't you? And I think, and it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with doing the one thing because some people's personalities are very much geared towards being a highly focused specialist, but you do have to be very sympathetic to who you are as a person. And I think when when you go far and wide to feed something especially with what you're doing with you know with making comic books and and illustration that has to stay fresh that has to get new stimulus all the time and and it's amazing that when you go to help another um whether it's sharing some information teaching students in your case what things that you accidentally come across that energize your practice you know very unselfishly yeah um yeah and i think i think being a practicing uh creative as well helps to feed into my job as a teacher a lot of art teachers are part-time because they continue their practice um and the two sort of feed into each other which is great uh, yeah it must be healthy for the students too to be you know to have immediate access to someone in industry yeah well i don't yeah i don't know if i could count as that but of course you do. You have the, the experience and i know lots of different people <laughs> from networking and stuff so you always get the input from someone else if you don't have it yourself for sure yeah well completely and, and but you know I, I mean i would say without doubt you are you know you don't have to you know you don't have to have this big long cv of whatever it's just you know you're out there doing something amazing you've got this amazing graphic novel coming out and therefore that's you know that's a that's so exciting for students which which actually yeah, I, wanted... I can't i can't show my students my graphic novel it's got too much swearing in it <laughs> do you know what i i, I... <laughs> I mean, I understand that, of course, you know, but, but it, because it's, it's thorny territory. But, God, I mean, the language and the stuff that was going around when I was 14 or whatever. You know, I know, I know. Like, it's not that they couldn't us. cope, it's that my relationship with them couldn't cope. <laughs> That's, yeah, well, yeah. Okay, well, well put. I, okay, I, I accept that now. Okay, I get it. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, let's just go back a little bit. I'm really interested in your early interest in comic books if you can hear the rain i forgive that i have to forgive that yeah, like i said i'm in this I'm in a Vauxhall it's here. part of like an atmospheric relaxing mood tape <laughs> i'm in manchester enough said <laughs> <laughs> um because i was really into comic books too and it's not something that i've really retained mm. as, as as such i still have a bag of about 25 number one like x-men foiled specials and all this stuff that i picked up from that leeds met comic fair that i used to go to nice. religiously as a kid but I, I, at that age, you hit upon something important there where you said at school, you know, you had no real understanding that there was this industry or a job to do this stuff that you were interested in. And I think it still prevails, sadly, for a lot of kids today. Um, but I used to look at these comic books and, and really, you know, be, I was quite astonished by the level, the finished level of artwork within these and the sheer volume of it. Yet I had no understanding whatsoever who would do that for a living or how, in what medium. All I did was draw pencil portraits at home and there was this massive gorge in between the two things. And I had no way of grasping that world. Was there a point, I mean, let, first of all, let's talk about your initial interest, like what kind mm. of comics are we talking about? Yeah, so not a huge amount of superhero stuff, to be honest. Um, I did really like the X-Men cartoon. So I bought a few X-Men um, and other sort of marvel things. But I kind of came into it two, two routes at once. Um, one was just through my local library and what was on their graphic novel shelf. So I just happened to pick up um, a few trade paperbacks of a series called Books of Magic when I was in my teens. I loved them. It's... Um, 
it's not very famous, I don't think, but it's a, it's a Vertigo series that's aimed at kids, but it's kind of set in the same sort of universe as things like Sandman and Hellblazer, like the Vertigo stuff. Cool. I don't know if that's something you're familiar with. I'm not, no. Oh, so good. You, I mean, um, I don't want to <laughs> give you too much shopping to do, but yeah, no, amazing stuff. Um, really kind of, it was that 1980s, 90s kind of um, reinvention of comic books, which... Uh, like the most famous ones are things like Watchmen. Uh, of course. So yeah. Like, yeah, like Alan Moore and um, The Killing Joke and um, Arkham Asylum. And like that was things that were happening in the superhero genre mm. uh, where they were rethinking it, making it a bit more dark. Um, I actually think uh, Watchmen's a little bit overrated, but um, <laughs> that's a discussion for another day. Um, and like at the same time, Vertigo was doing things with a whole range of characters. Um, Sandman is probably... Uh, one of the most famous ones I was definitely very, very into, uh, which I got into after having read Books of Magic. Um, Yeah, kind of like high fantasy, but gritty, real life crossover stuff. Uh, Really fun. Uh, Some of it is a lot darker than others. So you kind of, there was, I was exposed to something. So I was just like, oh, I love this. I'm going to buy everything I can. I read some stuff probably a bit younger than I should have. (laughs) Uh, And then at the same time, I was also getting into manga. So Basically, from seeing Pokemon on TV, I, I just started randomly buying comics and DVDs of stuff. And again, some of it probably a bit older than I should have been uh, looking at. Um, I really like the work of Rumiko Takahashi. She's a um, very prolific manga artist and she's done uh, Ram Mahath, um and uh, Maze on Okoku was the one that I read the most mm. and also Inuyasha. Um, and they're very kind of soap opera-y, but with just like really long unfolding stories of characters, but at the same time with just really ridiculous sort of slapstick humor thrown in around the edges. <laughs> ah, so good. <laughs> but then, yeah, there was kind of this golden period in my mid late teens when I had disposable income and time and I bought all this stuff. And then, um, oh, yeah, and then I went to uni and I was a bit poor and I stopped buying as many comics. Although I did, I did um, fall in love with David Mack's work then, Kabuki, uh, which is another fantastic series. He uses a lot of collage and watercolour in his work, mm. um, which I actually use a lot of collage in my practice. You can't really tell from looking at biscuits because it's all line work, but um, I really love his style of working. Did you so yeah, basically lots of kinds of comics other than superhero comics. Although I do still like superhero comics and that is where I kind of started aesthetically. Like I had a book um, on like how to draw, uh, how to ink comics um, that I used to religiously practice. That's really cool. In that kind of classic Marvel style. Yeah. Did you, were you able to share this with anyone? Like, because I, I, I'm, you know, I go to comic cons and things now and I'm there as much to look at the people as I am the you know the event itself i mean don't get me wrong they were amazing artists and i do end up buying things but i'm just i go and just take pictures and like you know i can at some point i'd like to just create a series of illustrations of people at comic-con because there's some outlandish amazing things going on but i wonder it, like i knew a lot of people who were into these comic books and, and didn't always find someone else who was or got it was it a private mm-hmm. thing or did you did you manage to tap into that community um, like sort of my my closest friends would share things with each other. They they weren't as into it as I was, but broadly they read sort of the things that I was most into. And then it was when I uh, was on my illustration degree. Obviously, you have that thing of suddenly you're in a group of people that have similar passions to you, and we were able to recommend each other stuff. Mm. So that was cool. And then when I moved to London, um, I went on a association of illustration uh, business class, which was amazing and. Um, I met quite a few people through that that also were had sort of similar taste and and it's just like yeah you know when you meet people and and you get to that point where it's like oh we have a passion in common now we can talk about it for hours and leave everyone else out. <laughs> the best, do you know what? It's the best thing, and I don't I mean, yeah. I'm not going to bang on about me because it's not about me, but but like the whole Calm Express project that I did, which was about the emotional benefits of creativity. Mm. I always wanted to emphasise the fact that this wasn't about professional it could be if 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 that's what you wanted to do with it but for me it was as much about that magic that you've described there that connection with someone and a shared deep love of something that can be so good for for mental health for belonging for just you know waking up and feeling excited about life Uh, and now i'm part of like um the whole kind of small press 
indie comics scene in the UK as well. And there's, it's such a really beautiful, welcoming community uh, in the last sort of, I guess, six or seven years. Um, I've sort of slowly got into that. And now I know so many people that are into comics. It's like actually uh, quite expensive because we'll have to keep buying each other's books. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But that's well also, worth it. That's got to be a great thing for what you're about to do with, uh, with biscuits in terms mm. of your work. Well, I, I was interested um, very much in some of the stuff you were saying in the last episode about your experience in indie publishing, because in um, in the sort of comic scene, it's it's very normal to self-publish. And like, um, your mum has a an, an ISBN code and a, and a barcode. So it's it's sort of a step up from quite a lot of the stuff that I'm used to coming across, because we just like literally print it and flog it and go to festivals and and do everything yourself. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, I had to go back to, you know, the, 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 the editor on your mum was the same as Champagne and he was a, a good friend of mine and he's very good at what he does, but he, he's always the guy. I'm just like, sorry to bother you again, but how do I get an ISBN? And you yeah, how, how you did you do that? Did you have to pay for it? Yeah, I think it was about 90 quid and you get a bunch of them. So, and, um, and at first I was like, bloody hell, 90 quid. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I wanted it, I, I might get it. I don't think it's going to be a Watstones type book. And to be honest, it's probably going to be quite hard coming from an indie standpoint. But, uh, you know, part of the next phase is to get that in Magma and loads yeah. of independent books, bookshops. I think it's really well geared to those places. Um, and I just thought it would help my cause. Uh, I mean, I know those places like Magma, especially now they have a zine section in there for the type of things you mentioned that are a little, a little more lo-fi or self-produced but i just wanted to give it the best chance of being picked up in you know whether it's gallery shops or whatever else and i knew, I knew that ISBN was going to help my cause in that respect and it does mean you can do stuff like put it on goodreads and um get it more kind of officially out there exactly that's the idea yeah um but so let's talk about that then so I, I'm, I'm first of all i mean because the big one of the big overriding things in this is um is the observation i think it's fantastic um so and i that's got to come from personality you must be, you must be like me you, I, I i mean i might be wrong here i'm guessing but just from reading that i picked up on something that's inherent in me and it's the inability to leave you know, like an overheard comment on a bus or uh oh, yeah, you know, you've got to write it down it's just i have a brain that my uncle described it he was also he was a writer and he described it as a flypaper mind um you know just it just everything sticks to it and and you, it's got, there's got to be a degree of that in your personality. Is it something that you're aware of, just something you do? Yeah, I think so. Like, I, because um, that's the kind of classic thing that's like, where do your ideas come from? And it's like, how, how do you not have loads of ideas? Are you not paying attention to the world? <laughs> not that I want to um, be mean to people that aren't like us. <laughs> but, um, I thought when you, the things that you said um, when you first mentioned my book, uh, and said that it was like, um, was it like observational comedy or something? That was so nice to hear because I feel like, oh yeah, he gets it. Like it is, it's just all art I think is kind of looking outwards and trying to show what you see. Um, and I think Biscuits is essentially just that. It's almost just like my sketchbook, um, but then with uh, a lot of effort into try and make it readable and like the story pacing as well to make it so that it's something you want to read in order. Mm-hmm. Uh, does well, that make sense? It, does, it completely makes sense, yeah. And um, it, well, the, you're you're absolutely right. It is, isn't it? An artist is essentially expressing the, the world around them, their take on the world, essentially. You know, and and um, I think you. What I, th I think why I enjoyed it so much is there is I do have a minor bugbear with the amount of times time that people spend on mobile devices now you know and, and I, don't get me wrong I'm on mine a lot because of and I'm sure you are because of the nature of the work we do but I always make a point of, of taking in the world I you know I, sometimes I listen to podcasts on the dog walk but I'll always leave at least one earbud out because I don't want to miss out on something you know and I don't want to miss out on whether it's a sound of the trees or just something as a writer as a creator I think it's really important to subconsciously soak this stuff up because that's where the good stuff comes from and you don't need to plan that that just happens by being a human just have your eyes open you know trying to look the world I think uh, so dead in the yeah. eye and see, see it for what it is it's not possible because we're only humans we're only slightly cleverer than monkeys and we can't actually process all the information but it's still beautiful to try i think so and i think we find little ways to do it you know and all this stuff 
is there, isn't it? It's, it's, it's in the subconscious. And then when you sit down to actually write these things, it's amazing what flows and what comes out and you didn't even realize you picked that up. And that's what's nice about it. You don't have to sit there and you know, keep a notebook. I mean, that's good sometimes, mm -hmm. but the best stuff really is it's in you, isn't it? It's a part of your personality. Yeah. I mean, I think your mum is fantastic for the same reason. It's just these little um, beautiful vignettes of reality. <laughs> thank you yeah well that was it and they were they were being written i was doing them without much of a direction really until until i saw the connection between those and the subculture illustrations i'd started to do and suddenly you know thought oh i wonder how much it costs to put a book together this might make an interesting book but there you go but um but anyway let's keep it on biscuits because uh, no no don't get me wrong i'm, I'm never going to shy away from a chance to plug my book but it's <laughs> a <bad> moment <laughs> um so so give us an overview for, for people who are not yet aware of Biscuits. Tell us, uh, tell us what it is. Oh, I'm not very good at the elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's basically um, a, a graphic novel that shows a series of overlapping short stories um, of a, uh, some women that live in London. Uh, the motif of the book is a cookie cutter outline with a, each character shown within it. Um, which is actually where the book started. So it started with those pictures. That was the project first. And so it's kind of a, a metaphor for how people are always a mix of the expected and the unexpected. So we are kind of, we're, our identity is made up of um, our labels and the things you might expect, but there's always things to people's stories that you wouldn't guess from looking at them or from knowing their, their um, sort of statistics and um yeah it's a mix of there's kind of three main characters and then there's a bunch of other characters that have smaller um more sporadic stories i, I tend to say to people that it's structurally it's a little bit like love actually mm. um, and then sometimes people give me bad looks because they're like why do you want to compare yourself to a cheesy rom-com oh it's amazing i'm not i'll i'll take i'll take anybody, I'll take anybody, anybody on yeah, i think it's brilliant <laughs> Uh, yeah I, I, does that make sense um and yeah and it's like funny and sad and stuff well it is that's it isn't it uh, for, for for a little while I, I started to um you know really get behind the idea of, of your mum being like a, a, a mucky book and, and it is in parts but there's also a poignancy in there that I'd almost forgotten about and you know observations on the homeless community and the likes and that's what I loved about mm -hmm. biscuits there's you know you swing from someone's um dating app wars right through to someone who's got cancer and how they're coping with that and how their family is responding to that you know and i think that's brilliant and, and you do it all with warmth which is really really Thank powerful you um you know that they're the writing an illustration of both knockout quality and i think um you know each each it, it's difficult to write something that endears all of the characters but i think you do that you know I've, i actually cared for all the characters and felt something for them which was where uh, which was brilliant you know i didn't expect that but yeah, i was it's a dangerous thing i think sometimes to to, to use a lot of characters isn't it mm. uh, because you can lose focus but you don't do that at all i think it's really uh it's great you know and, and there's a lot of things that made me snigger <laughs> sad for the people you know you, you know i was moved in some way with each character which is fantastic so it is it's, it's a broad scope and i think you do without going too broad and being too scattered i think you do show you it's a great lens on on contemporary life and, and the range of things that people are going through in their daily lives that we don't always know about and to make that the hero of a project is um that's talent in itself i think you've done it wonderfully thank, thank you so much <laughs> yeah you, i think i was confident that I could draw and that I could write dialogue, but I, I've obviously never done anything this scale. Um, I really wanted it to be something that was like a well-balanced and well-paced book. So I put a lot of effort into kind of trying to plan that. Um, and I think it has paid off. You said about, um, it started out as the series of illustrations through the cookie cutter. Yes. Shapes. What was the, what was the tipping point when you, when you thought you had something more on your hands? Um, oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think fairly early on, I was like, oh, I could, I could make comics about this. But for a long time, I thought if I was going to do a comic about it, it would be one page, just one page, like the cookie on the left and like a little snapshot into their life on the right. Because um, the project started out, um, just, can I just tell you about how it started? Yeah, so um, yeah, like in 2016, um, 
I went to an event called Ladies Do Comics, which is a monthly event, which is really fantastic. Um, they have them all over the country, uh, possibly in other countries. Um, but I go to the London one. And uh, Jules Scheel was presenting, um, along with, I've forgotten her name, but her, uh, their ex-colleague at uh, One Beat Zines. And they um, were talking all about distribution and awesome different scenes that they're done um i spoke to them in the pub afterwards and showed them some of my zines because i had small zines and um we agreed to do a bundle that they were going to distribute for me of my zines um i made a poster to go with that bundle to make it a bit more uh exclusive which uh is in the back of biscuits um and it's the first time that i drew the cookie cutters was for that poster I love them so much that I just wanted to do loads more. So I started doing more. And in the summer of 2016, I did that. Um, for August, I was posting one every day on Instagram and they had like this, the caption at the bottom. And it was just this idea of being a very snapshotty view into different people's lives. That was uh, posting under the hashtag 3.52 billion which is uh, that's the approximate number of women in the world. So it's the idea that this is the same number of ways it's okay to be a woman. Mm -hmm. uh, I quite, quite soon sort of realized, obviously I'm not qualified to speak for every woman in the world because there's plenty of things that I don't understand. Uh, I wrote uh, a sort of spiel to excuse myself, uh, hopefully from people critiquing me for that, which I can read out. I think if I've got it here somewhere. Um, it goes, the 3.52 billion project is so called because that is the approximate number of female humans on the planet, according to me Googling it. This also happens, in my opinion, to be the approximate number of different ways it's okay to be a woman, because we are all ourselves a heady mix of expected and unexpected. So it's a project that's broadly about intersectional feminism and about getting to think about the different kinds of awesome women who are out there. I'm in no way qualified to speak for all creeds, cultures, colours, conditions, cliques or categories. And no, I don't know what it's like to be anyone other than me. So I'm not going to try and write captions in idiom or dialect. I'm not going to try and work out a proportional representation of the world's actual population breakdown or systematically, systematically tick off countries and professions, but trying to put ourselves in other people's shoes is worthwhile and important and interesting. So that's what I'm doing. I'm not interested in only showing positive characteristics or being cruel. And if anything comes out of this that is problematic, which seems almost inevitable, then I acknowledge my ignorance and ask only that you inform me kindly. And um, so I started putting that on each Instagram post uh, to try and make sure it was clear I wasn't actually trying to speak for everybody and then when it came to sort of turning it into um, a comic I realized that I couldn't make it about the whole world because it's too big of a pro uh, subject so I limited it to London which is where I live. Mm -hmm. I think it's fine, I think it's brilliant and I just I think the uh, <laughs> I like the disclaimer <laughs> <laughs> I, but I love it you know there's um I mean, yeah, okay, there's always a danger, isn't there, of yeah. someone getting upset, but then also... I'm, I'm sure I'm going to offend someone at some point. It's going to oh, happen. Well, so well, far, I, no one's no one's come at me, but I'm almost inviting it by saying that. I'm the same, and it'll be mortally offended by when I do, but, you know, that's what the risk you take. <laughs> Put stuff out there sometimes. But, but you know, I think you, you're obviously mindful of it, therefore I think you'll be respectful of it, and, you know, people do have to forgive a certain bit of discrepancy sometimes, especially when it's creative licence. Uh, but I think the biscuit, uh, the, the cookie cutter, biscuit cutter thing is, is fantastic. It's a very simple device, but I love that. And I love that idea of the unexpected and the expected. And you've immediately got me sitting here now, breaking down characteristics and thinking, oh, yeah, that's such a Yorkshireman thing yeah. to do. And, and uh, well, there's nothing wrong with being a bit of a stereotype. As long as no one thinks that's all you are. Exactly. That's the thing, isn't it? I take a lot of pride from, you know, a lot of the things. Um, and it's good to own them, isn't it? But then it's, yeah. like you say, it's nice to then completely flip that and do something, you know, that would not be associated with that work, were it, let's say, a 90s sitcom on that topic. <laughs> but um, so how long are we talking to create this in its entirety? Because it's quite the body of illustration in there. Um, yeah, so I, I started, I, I started thinking about it in summer 2016, but then um, it took, it was two years writing the first 30 pages, which was why I submitted to the Myriad first graphic novel competition, mm -hmm. um, which I, which I ended up winning, which is quite nice. <laughs> and then, so I got my book contracts in summer 2018. So it's, yeah, it's basically the rest of it was two years, mm -hmm. pretty intensive working. 
That's amazing. Congrats on the competition, by the way. Thank very, you. Very well deserved. How was that? I mean, how was that? How how were Myriad in terms of you know the, the how did that relationship begin? Was it were they great, good to work with? Oh, fantastic! Yeah, um, they're they're so they're so good because I know I know that a lot of um, publishers that do do comics are a bit more hands off. Like um, they've been very good uh, helping me with editing and uh, different bits of the process. And were you aware of them before? Well, you must have been to enter the competition, but I, uh, this is the first I heard of them. Um, yeah, I think they, they have quite a sort of chunky graphic novel imprint. They also do um, fiction, non-fiction and atlases. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what they started with was atlases. So it's just kind of grown out of that. Uh, they do things like the feminist atlas, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, there's only about sort of three or four real um big publishers of graphic novels in the uk so jonathan cape um random house i think i should really know this um, but then there's quite a lot of medium uh indie publishers people like um avery hill who are fantastic and i probably would have pitched avery hill next if i hadn't got myriad they were like next on my list mm -hmm. there because uh, just cause like, like and it's quite a small scene so everyone kind of knows each other yeah um but yeah myriad is, is that kind of in between because they're they're not as big as as something like jonathan cape but they are quite quite a force like they're quite a big chunky um sort of medium-sized publisher i guess yeah i, I mean you know, again i'm still i i, I know i know part of the podcast talking about my own experiences but i really beyond the publishing experience i had i don't know anything to be honest <laughs> i still don't really know anything <laughs> i've done this one book and I'm, I'm figuring out as i go along um yeah. i didn't yeah like all the promo is happening now um because I, I think you mentioned this as well like publishers just have this sort of constantly rolling thing that's going on because they've got a new book out every week or so so now it's like oh let's all look at biscuits because this is what's coming out this week so i have to like make the most of it and do all my promo very much so and that you know you got in touch with me about the show and i think that's what you have to do it's like you know and i learned that and i and don't get me wrong it wasn't that i was sitting there tapping my thumbs when I <laughs> you know I, I was champagne you know i really i drove it and i worked my network as much as i could but i found you know i thought i'd be more met halfway with my publisher and i wasn't and it wasn't that they weren't doing the work they were supposed to do it's just that they have their list they'll yeah. do a shot you know they'll chase it up well, that's it really and, and the work with what comes back and whereas it's up to me to go out and really bang some doors and and get that coverage because i'm the only one who truly understands that book and, and is the author at the end of the day and i think it is it's that it's the same facade or, or the same illusion maybe is a better word that mm. and maybe signing to a record label for the first time might get that that's yeah, it yeah. the big contract the rolls royce is coming you know <laughs> like no it doesn't really work like that especially in today's world you know yeah you, i mean well both with art and with music there's the money doesn't come from where it used to come from does it it's often the stuff around the outside that's actually where you make your money yep oh absolutely that's it yeah so um so that must have been a huge buzz to get you know yeah. to get the contract and know that it, was it I, I imagine that gave you the, the motivation you needed to get the get the rest of it done when you found out this was going to be a thing yeah, I mean, I didn't even, I had no idea how long it was going to be. I remember one of my first meetings with Corin, I was like, um, so here's a plan for it being like this many pages. Here's a plan for this many pages. Here's a plan for this many pages. Because of, of the nature of the format, it could be literally any length. Um, so she was helpful in being like, this is probably a good length. Um, go for like, yeah, around, it was, I mean, it's like 280 pages. But it was, we were aiming for sort of like 250. Mm -hmm. um, and we were able to just sort of give it some breathing room, which was good. I think, yeah. I mean, and then the size works, you know, like you say, it's broken, it's edited and broken down in such a way that you can, as I've been doing, put it down. You know, I mean, when the digital version you first sent me, I ended up sort of skimming through the whole thing. I read, I'd say, about the first 70 pages quite mm -hmm. focused and then realized my day was going to be gone if I wasn't careful. Not that that was a bad thing because, you know, I was, I could have happily spent all day reading it, <laughs> but I had other things to do, including two kids. So it was like, uh, I'm going to have to come back to this. So but now with the print version, I'm dipping in an hour, but it is, it's broken down nicely. So you can, you know, you can do it in chunks. And I think it's, um, it's great for that. 
I think it's a really uh, a good way of doing it, especially with the amount of characters you're dealing with. Did you get much in the way of self-doubt? I mean, what's your confidence like? I, I mine ebbs and flows like any other creature. <laughs> you know, I, there's days when I think, what are you doing? Like, you know, no one's going to read this stuff. And there's other days when I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I can do this. I'm just going to be all right. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, like sometimes I'm just like, what have I done with my life? Like I've spent so much time on this and just kind of like, what is the point? Like, how is this helping anyone in the world? But, uh, and then other times you're like, this is amazing. I've done this thing. Um, yeah, I think this, this last couple of weeks have been really good because um, the pre-orders have gone out. Um, that means that I've been hearing from people that haven't really seen it before, uh, which is really validating. Because uh, it's such a long process in publishing from, ter- from turning in the, the draft, the second draft and then the final draft. And then it, it's a long time before anyone else gets to read it, Yeah, which is different from self-publishing where you can just be like, right, it's done. Read it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That is one of the key differences. Um, yeah. And like I say, I was I was confident about the art style and the dialogue, but I just really I had no idea whether I could write something that held together as a story. So that's, that's the thing that makes me feel the best is when people, I've had a f- quite a few people say like, um, oh, I started reading it and I didn't plan to read the whole thing, but then I, I read the whole thing in one chunk and it's like, oh yes, that's, <laughs> that's a relief that people actually have that, it has that kind of page turnability. It very much does, yeah. yeah. It flows well, it's snappy, it's the stories, you know, you've got the right balance of depth, but without over-laboring, it's, it's very um, it's crisp. I think I think as well for a long time I thought that that kind of that was the kind of thing that ought to come naturally like it's like in a lot of creative things you feel like oh well you shouldn't do that on purpose that should just be an instinct but I I listened to a really good podcast uh, called script notes which is about writing scripts for tv and film mostly Mm -hmm. um and that's I think that's really opened my eyes to kind of like no it, it is hard work like you have to do this stuff on purpose it's okay to manipulate your audience like that's what they're there for Oh yeah, oh completely, and and something yeah. Sometimes well, it's a balance, isn't it? Sometimes some when you're writing, things do come in a certain way. But yeah, but mm. God, having a good editor and and being able to refine something for the right audience is crucial. Yeah, I think there's also like I when I was a teenager, I I was like quite pretentious as teenagers often are, um, and I think I was quite sort of disdainful of things that were ob- that were cheesy that that you could see where the emotional journey was going and it seemed like um i felt like oh i don't i don't want to do that because it's too obvious and then on the other hand you have like all these weird ideas that um you think oh no one's never going to get that um and you have seriously so you're beating yourself up from two angles you're like i can't do that that's too obvious or i can't do that that's too weird and i think that like the best work comes from when you get those two things and you allow them to mash up together it's kind of like where your cheesiness meets your weirdness. Definitely. You do. You do and, I, and I've certainly in the past been guilty of not just telling the story and making it clear what's happened. You know, sometimes I've, you know, everything has to be a astounding sentence or it has to be, you know, it has to be overcomplicated. Or, or, but sometimes just punchy and snappy is fine. But like you say, to, to then bring in complete weirdness is also brilliant. And you do, I think with experience, get better at melding the two and working out when each extreme works. Um, what, one of my friends that really gets that, um, I think, is Gareth Hopkins. Um, his work is kind of abstract comics, and it's it's really beautiful and really interesting. But um, a couple of years ago, maybe, he, he brought out a book where he also included a um, a narrative that was a bit more clear. It was still, like, fairly abstract and, and arty and interesting, but he, he let it have that kind of emotional journey that was a bit more expected. And I, like... And we, we talked about it a lot, how it's just like allowing himself to do that. And it's, I think it's probably the best thing he's done. Like he's done lots of other good stuff, but being able to bring those two things together, I think is really important. Without a doubt. You have to pay things off sometimes as well, don't you? You know, yeah. there's a, there are certain story, you know, fundamental storytelling acts. And I think you do, you have to, you have to bring some conclusions sometimes. It's okay not to, but if you do too much of that, you can lose a certain amount of readership or you know again it depends on personal what's important to you as a writer too but you mentioned there as well about you know tv and things i think this is really well set up for screenplay first for whether it's theater or tv is that something you've considered um yeah i don't know like 
do you, do you not think it's like too too much stuff going on i guess it would need to be extended wouldn't it i mean you know you could work with certain bits and uh, and really de- delve deeper into a certain character perhaps but i think uh i think some of the some of the core characters are very well set up for that um Cool. If you're listening, TV guys, get in touch. <laughs> it's hard to say, isn't it? Like anything yeah. else, I think you would need it. You know, you would need the right pair of eyes, the right kind of producer or whatever the role would be to see it and go, oh shit, you know, if we did this with that, then it, you know, it would really work. And it's that classic thing, isn't it? That you sometimes need someone who's in that world to tell you, to show you how it can be before it makes sense. But I think without doubt there's scope there. And by, by virtue of it being a graphic novel, you know, it's all you've already done a certain amount of directing with your compositions and the likes, which which gives you a head start. I think that's what jumped out to me. Yeah, I mean they're very similar. I think in some ways, and then in other ways, completely different. Like the great thing about graphic novels is you really just need one person to make them. Yeah, that is some, a, some, sometimes two or three, but um, yeah, you definitely need a few more people than that to make a TV show. There's actually um, a famous TV producer who shares my name. <laughs> um, I've had a few people reach out to me uh, to try and get in touch with her, but they've got in touch with me. Absolutely. <laughs> I did notice that, yeah. yeah. I think when I went looking for your website for my research, I uh, I did come across that, yeah. <laughs> She's never followed me back on Twitter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny Robbins, if you're out there, <laughs> let's be friends. <laughs> I, uh, I remember getting really annoyed in uh, New Zealand because it's the only place in the world where I wasn't number one if you put Ben Talent <laughs> There was a de- really successful dermatologist there. <laughs> well, if you ever want to branch out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I should try and think of like a skin pun, but I can't think of one. <laughs> um, this, you said something there as well that I found interesting, and it was about, um, you know, when we said about the whole what, are you do- what am I doing with my life kind of tendencies mm-hmm. that we have as creators. But I've come back around to thinking recently, you know, oh, falling back in love with the with the power of nuance and and being subversive with creativity and how that can be just as powerful as screaming something from the rooftops that's more directly important almost if you know it's, and, and there was i did a couple of episodes with dewinda bansal and craig oldham recently yeah. we both did very personal yet very inspiring deep projects and you know it just it reminded me that it doesn't have to be placards or angriness you know that, that you can inspire people in many different ways and actually you can never quite know how that's going to be or how someone's going to respond and i think it's all it almost second guesses the nature of creativity to, to try you know I, I just think i think i i imagine someone who's 13 14 coming into ad, you know adolescence and that confusing time of life and getting hold of a copy of biscuits and finding a great deal of um I don't know what the right word is, but really kind of relating to these characters and these the complexities of life told in such an honest way, you know? Well, I hope so. <laughs> oh, I think so. You know, I, yeah. want to, I do want to say this on a school library shelf, you know, I think it's, uh, I think this stuff could be really powerful for someone uh, who's maybe feeling a little bit down on themselves because they're different, which, you know, I certainly was at that age. Mm. I mean, comics have, I, I mean, I yeah, I kind of already spoke about the superhero genre not being the be all and end all of comics but i think that is part of the appeal um uh superhero is always kind of like a metaphor for being the odd one out because they're especially the Mm x-men it's like mutants weirdos even though they're they've been so predominantly sort of white male able-bodied it still has been something that's been powerful i think in that way and i be great to tap into that without having to be necessarily so genre focused yeah yeah and then then again that goes back to why i I think one of the main reasons i love this is that it's it's very much everyday superheroes you know these are strong characters (laughs) who you know if you were to put a personality type not personality type but a number of these traits with people if you were to put you know call them a genre it's almost like these are these are the sharp these people are the sharp end of those (laughs) genres so to speak you know uh, I think that's why I, you know, drawn to certain characters. You've you've written them well, and there is just something powerful about the everyday, t- you know, told in such in such a way as this. Yeah, I mean, it's like we're all going through struggles, aren't we? And it's easy to forget. 
Oh, hundred percent. Especially, you know, especially now. Yeah, especially now. You know, and then, like you say, whilst this is set before any of this stuff happens uh, with the virus, I think it's almost more poignant that these, you know, we're, to be reminded these struggles are still going on, you know, and we still have the same kind of amount of stresses. And the stresses have got quite surreal, haven't they now? But I think... Yeah, uh, yeah life hasn't stopped. <laughs> no, exactly. It hasn't stopped at all. And, and like we said at the beginning, what, you know, was normal everything. Yeah, I think... I'm, yeah, I don't want to get too much into pop psychologizing. <laughs> it's a dangerous, dangerous territory. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's very true. <laughs> so what's the hope? What's the hope for this graphic novel? You've got any ambitions for it? Is there a, are you just going with what, you know, one week at a time? Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, yeah, the more that it can get out there, the better, I think. It seems to be going quite well. Um, I mean, in this country, there's not that much of a market for graphic novels but um we're working on it there's a lot of people in the industry that are sort of slowly trying to chip away at that um every every year there's an, another broadsheet article that's like oh this comic is uh, not about superheroes and is surprisingly good <laughs> it's like you've, you've, you've said that before let many times um but some yeah people just not necessarily getting the memo and that's fair enough because it is it's a different literacy like it's some people just struggle to read the comic format because they're not used to it Mm -hmm. um i mean a lot of a lot of us struggle to read prose especially when we spend all our time on our phones um it's kind of something you have to retrain yourself to do if you're not in the habit of doing it but at the same time i'm kind of gone off topic um uh there's there's a massive upsurge in visual and text communication online so there's so many people on instagram um and other platforms that are communicating with what is essentially comics because it's just text and image mm-hmm. um so yeah there's inroads that way i think with biscuits um yeah i don't know we're, we're pushing it it's going to be book of the month at the feminist bookshop at brighton which is quite exciting that's really cool yeah you get a free cup of tea and a biscuit if you buy it <laughs> brilliant yeah I, I, I have to stop myself from getting my marketing head on with this book and the whole <laughs> gone mad thinking of ways to promote it <laughs> yeah, well i really wanted to make biscuit tins but it's it's not worth it but the <laughs> it's like something that the unit cost unless you're making twenty thousand, is just not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant is there have you got any plans to get i mean i say i was going to say to get into things like comic cons um but i guess with the state of things at the minute all that's virtual isn't well it? a lot of it's happening online so we've got thought bubble coming up in a couple of weeks um they're doing online content uh leads uh, not leads the thought bubble is near leads but um the lakes international comic art festival was a few weeks ago um and they had again they had an online thing it's definitely not on the scale of a normal year um because even though it's free and it's online i think increasingly people are getting kind of bored of that aren't they like to in order to do something virtual we've got to try really hard to make it sound more interesting than watching netflix yes yeah and there's a certain degree of fatigue isn't there just because yeah. of the, uh, we had to Zoom do fatigue things. exactly zoom fatigue yeah we're all very familiar with that so um, i'm going to be doing some stuff in the next couple of weeks uh, i'm not sure when this will go out so some of it might be in the past but um so i'm going to be doing like some live drawing and some interviews and stuff but uh yeah it's not going to be the same as as going to festivals but we're, we're doing our best brilliant well i'm excited to see where it goes and um it, like i say it comes highly recommended i think it's uh, a tremendous piece of work so congratulations you should thank be you so proud. much no it's, uh, it's amazing and i love to you know i love seeing this stuff you know I, my extent of graphic novels has been you know things limited to a couple of pages or one pages at the moment and it's not something i've really put much stock into but it i've got a section on my website which immediately gives me incentive to maybe get some more stuff on there so who knows yeah. well um, i mean that's a good sign as well that someone that doesn't read a lot of comics um found it very readable so for, for your listeners if you're not listen, if you're not reading comics read this one <laughs> well the thing is you know it's a comic format isn't it but it doesn't yeah you know it reads it's not how you think of it as a traditional comic you know I, I'm struggling to put into words, but it, you know, it's like I say, it's very well written. It's a, it's a great story, and that's really it. You know, it just so happens to come with a lot of great illustration. <laughs> oh, yeah, did a lot of drawing. 
just out of curiosity, did you did you work do you work from reference? What? Because I look at that amount of work and just go, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly um, from photographs. Like, I basically got in the habit of every time I leave the house taking a lot of photographs. Quite a lot of the um, single, like sort of one-off background characters, I take photos when I'm about to cross the road. Mm-hmm. So, like, when everyone's just lined up on the other side of the road waiting to cross, is the perfect time to catch them not looking at you but looking at you <laughs> but, uh, that's a great idea yeah. <laughs> oh, um, and yeah and i use like um a lot of completely changed obviously so i'm not breaking any copyright but i just like watch tv and pause it to get the poses and the expressions of people that are, are talking so i would change the character but that's generally how i get poses and expressions so they're not all kind of wooden and the same yeah and that's something that i think when if you look at a you know a body of work like this without really knowing the practice and I, I'm, I'm that's exactly how i work too by the way and that's why mm-hmm. i kind of recognized it from from yours and thought oh my god to do that over 280 pages that's <laughs> commitment you know so you wouldn't necessarily pick that up as just a casual reader but that's why it's uh you know deserves commendation as a as a to put that in over all those images wow i mean well done <laughs> thank you yeah, i'm addicted to detail it's it's not healthy oh detail is everything though in, in, in something like this yeah i really wanted to make sure that like the expressions were more sort of subtle and realistic than just sort of your, your basic emotion and <laughs> um, there's especially there's a scene um in the when it's the South Park Centre event and there's a kind of crunch scene when lots of the characters that haven't met yet meet for the first time and it's just a couple of pages but it took me so long because I was spending so long trying to get each character's expression right for what they were feeling in that conversation Mm. Um, and now it's like it's one of my favourites because I remember how hard it was. (laughs) (laughs) God it sounds it. Well I think um, I've pretty much covered it and then the essential stuff where can people get it and when? Um, so you can pre-order now. Um, the best way is through the Myriad Editions website. Uh, you can also get it, uh, I think, on most of the main bookshop websites, including the one that is controversial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it'll be in shops, but I don't know how how many shops. So if you have a local bookshop and you want to make sure that it's there, do do feel free to pre-order because that helps local bookshops as well. Brilliant. Well, well done again, Jenny. And um, I'm very, uh, I'm delighted to have my copy and I suggest that everybody goes and gets theirs because it's a, a truly great project. Thank you. Thank you so much to Jenny Robbins for taking the time to chat biscuits. Uh, go and get your copy now. I can't recommend it enough. It's a truly innovative, independent graphic novel. It's, it's more than worth the cover price. It's, I mean, it's a beast. We're talking 284 pages, in-depth stories, glimpses, wonderfully observed, witty, poignant, uh, timely glimpses into everyday women's lives in London. It's just funny and warm and fun, and you have to go and get it, so go and get it right now. Support Jenny, support Myriad Editions, one of the UK's leading independent graphic design publications. Cheers to the sponsors theaoi.com and illustrationx.com both doing awesome work in the illustration uh, visual communication industries my new book your mom and the other my new book we'll go again your mom and other stories from the back streets of britain is out now you can pick that up at bantallenwriter.com it's an illustrated 21 short story anthology all based around the arse end of British life, the things we don't talk about, you know, the, the homeless tented communities, the discarded fag packet on the floor. It's little stories linked to these 21 items of British subculture. It's both sad and dark and funny and raw and rude and um, lots of other things that I guess my work could only ever be. Thank you to those who've got a copy so far. I should say there is a giveaway right now for anybody who buys a copy of the paperback, well, for, of any edition. It's out on um, audiobook right now and ebook too. For anyone who buys a copy, they go straight into the prize draw to win one of the original illustration line drawings that are published in the book. You can also enter my draw to win a copy of all three of my books so far, Champagne and Wax Crayons, Isolation Watch, Falling Apart in the Pandemic, and Your Mum. 
by signing up to the mailing list. And it's not just a cheap grab. The mailing list is the lifeblood of freelance creative, I think. It's the way we update people on the work we're doing. The emails will be few and far between, but all you've got to do is head over to bentallenwriter.com, find the section on the homepage that says let me in, stick your name and your email in there, and away you go. You could win a copy of each of my books. There's going to be three sets to give away, so jump on that now. It's going on for a few more weeks yet. Well, there's all sorts going on. Uh, there's been a lot of guest readings of excerpts from stories from many people in the design industry, from Craig Oldham to Dewinda Bansal to Sham Maragaya, um, Laura Connolly is in PR. We have all kinds of people doing these wonderful guest readings. So thank you to those who've done them. I've been enjoying them and uh, the feedback's been great. So check it all out. The books are out there now. Uh, it's been exciting fusing illustration and writing, and that's exactly what Jen Robbins has done on today's awesome episode. So thanks again to her. Cheers for listening, guys. Feedback at Arrest Home Mix or Ben Talon on the social media. Have a great week. Stay safe. Talk to people if you're feeling shit because it's rubbish times at the minute. And you know, look for the silver linings. I'm hearing so many stories of people who've come out with this stronger or have learned new skills or uh, finding just ways to adapt and cope so if you can do it do it if not talk to people stay safe give us a shout if you need to cheers have a great week <laughs>